0: up every stitch, you've got to pick up every stitch, you've got to pick up every stitch. Oh, must be the season of the week, must be the season of the week, yeah. must be the season of the week. Hello and welcome to the 2021 Halloween Spooktacular. I'm your host, Paddo. Today I will be kicking things off with a sequel review. Um, I did a Nightmare on Elm Street last year, so I thought I would continue the trend by touching on one of the better sequels in the franchise, with A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Uh, so there's a bit of an interesting backstory with this film. So last year there was a documentary that came out called Screen Queen's My Nightmare on Elm Street, which focused on actor Mark Patton and his involvement in uh, the franchise um, and his experience filming that original film. Um, so the idea of this documentary was... Um, the actor himself was a closeted gay at the time in the 1980s. Uh, and he was, I guess, a part of the uh, of the first homoerotic, um, I, I guess, gay horror film. And at the time, the studio wasn't really aware what they were trying to do with it. But the film focused heavily on the idea that Freddie was sort of utilising... Um, Mark Patton's character to come over into the real world um, and using him as like a vessel to carry out his uh, murders, essentially. And that's the general premise of the film. But the backstory around Mark Patton's involvement uh, and, like I said, being closeted at the time, it was a, a very difficult experience for him. So I won't be going into too much detail surrounding the documentary. I haven't yet watched the documentary, but I hear it's really good and I'm looking forward to actually giving it a go. Um, but the idea of, I guess, his involvement with the franchise and what um, happened with him, um, it, it's very interesting. And I will touch on the homoeroticism of the film because it's a big part of the film, a- and it's very unique in that sense too. I guess the trend in the 1980s, and following Halloween, of course, um, was the idea of the final girl. So we all know that horror trope, especially with slasher films, Uh, And the idea behind that was definitely, um, yeah, to touch base on the fact that I guess his character um, would replace that, you know, the idea of, you know, the final girl in the films, it would be a final dude. Um, And and it was very interesting and it was a different take on the formula. So, in that respect, the film definitely does something very different, especially from the first film, too, because we have um, Nancy, of course being the lone survivor uh, at the end of the first Nightmare on Elm Street film. And this film just takes it in a vastly different approach. So I I like that idea. I like the, um, I guess, shaking up the formula. And like I said, it was something that originated with the original Halloween film, of course, with Laurie Strode. And then we continued that trend then with Friday the 13th and a lot of slasher films that came out after it. Uh, And I, I like that this film does something very different. So... That's the introduction there to uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. But what I want to do first before we delve into that review is talk about my new intro there. So my good friend Hayden Westcott uh, did this introduction for me, which was really cool. Uh, So we recorded it. I wanted to do something a little different this Halloween and sort of focus a bit more on the... I guess, the theatrics of getting the podcast, you know, to a point where I'm very happy with it. And my friend um, did that for me, and I think it sounds really, really awesome. So thank you very much to Hayden. Uh, You can check out his own Instagram page as well, Scarlet Woodworks. Uh, Hayden does some really cool guitars and things like that. Uh, He focuses on, you know, doing some... Uh, cool stuff with furniture, um, mainly guitars though, and he does a really good job. So check out his uh, Instagram page as well. I'll leave a link down below to his Instagram page so you can have a look at that. But yeah, um, it's a really cool intro and it'll be something I'll be utilizing for the rest of this Halloween Spooktacular. I won't be doing as many recommendations on Instagram as what I did last year. This year, focusing more heavily on my podcast and trying to get an episode out You know, like a a couple a week during this period of time. So look forward to more reviews coming very shortly in regards to that. But let's get stuck into Freddy's Revenge. So take it away, trailer. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for of me. And he is not a welcome visitor. No. no! No! But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. <laughs> Dad! i in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! He can't help you now! There's something inside him. Fight him! You're not afraid of him! He doesn't even exist! Freddy Krueger is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa! Fight him! Watch out for him! He'll be in your neighborhood soon. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2 all my children now freddy's revenge So, A Nightmare on Elm Street's part to Freddy's Revenge was directed by Jack Shoulder and stars Robert England as Freddy Krueger, Mark Patton, Kim Myers, Robert Russler, uh, Clue Gooliger, and Hope Lang, and follows a teenage boy who is haunted in his dreams by the deceased child murderer Freddy Krueger, who is out to possess him in order to continue his reign of terror in the real world. So like I said, this film is, uh, I guess, a darker sequel than what we were expecting after the first film. I guess Freddy hadn't entered that mainstream popularity as big as what he gets in the latest sequels. So the emphasis on Freddy Krueger is still to make him quite a terrifying figure. And for the most part, I think they achieved that. And that's through Robert England's fantastic performance. Um, he's still finding his own here in relation to getting the character just right. So you don't have the one-liners that Freddy's so good at uh, in the latest sequels. Instead, here, we're focusing, like I said, more on that terrifying, supernatural aspect of the character. And I think for the most part, it works. I I definitely think that there's not enough Freddy Krueger in this film. In the early portions of the film, we have a great opening sequence where um, we're first introduced to Jesse, um, our main character played by Mark Patton. Uh, and he's obviously in a dream uh, sequence and he's on a bus and he's a bit nervous because he's actually going to school for the first time in his new town. He's, of course, moved into Nancy's old home. Um, and yeah, I guess the focus here is that he is on the bus. The bus is driving and it feels very dreamlike. He's very sweaty. He's very nervous. He's being made fun of by the girls on the bus. And we're focusing, yeah, on, on I guess, he's paranoia. So, Obviously, he's nervous about going to school. He's not really sure what to expect. But then he's also being haunted by Freddy Krueger in his dreams. So that sequence plays out quite well. Uh, We delve a little into the gothic horror type stuff that appears in, like, The Dream Child and um, Freddy's Dead later in the franchise, which is pretty cool. And it's more the gothic imagery. I love when the bus is driving in this sequence and... It appears to be on like the ledge, um, stuck in the middle of like a ledge in what looks like a volcano. Um, And it's done through really cool miniatures and practical effects and really, really detailed sets, which I really enjoy because they're the aspects of this type of 1980s horror that I really enjoy. Um, And I think because of the success of the first film, they wanted to delve more into that supernatural aspect because this film came out only a year later after the first film. So they're obviously... New Line Cinema were after a hit. Uh, They were a a newly established franchise um, studio, uh, trying to establish a franchise because they saw the success that the Friday the 13th films were having with Paramount. We had the uh, independent distribution of like the Halloween films that were doing quite well at the time too, Halloween 3 aside, um, which I still enjoy, but that's another story. Uh what this franchise was trying to do was just trying to stand out and be completely different, which I think works, because at the time, we didn't really have that supernatural horror going on. I guess after the success of The Exorcist, we had a lot of knockoffs. Uh, we, of course, had uh, The Omen come out, Richard Donner's uh, film, May He Rest in Peace. Uh, the Omen was very interesting and tried to continue that possession aspect and focusing more on, again, the supernatural side of things. But what I think is done incredibly well here with this film is that the film's taking itself a little more seriously, definitely. And uh, like I said, that the homoerotic aspects make it completely unique and different to any other film in the horror genre at the time. And that comes down to a really good performance from Mark Patton as well. Like I said, he was closeted at the time, and he was finding it quite difficult um, on set trying to, you know, I guess hide his sexuality from his performance. But it was would have been difficult, especially considering what the team were trying to accomplish in regards to standing out among the crowds uh in the 1980s in particular because you've got to remember the time period we're, we're in the mid 80s here so this was something that definitely had to be hidden and it was really unique for them to try and yeah maneuver themselves into a way where it felt like they were trying to do something different trying to do something really exciting And for that aspect, and I think for what they're able to accomplish, it is quite uh, interesting, definitely. And I think that case study itself is really interesting. And like I said, it's a product of its time. Um, It's very sad that Mark Patton felt like he had to hide his sexuality during that time, of course, but that's something personal to him. So that's why I don't really want to touch on that. And like I said, there's a great documentary, um, Scream Queens, My Nightmare on Elm Street, which focuses heavily on that. But I think what is able to be accomplished here is, yeah, it's very interesting in that respect. And I I like all of that surrounding the film because it sort of does elevate what we see then on screen and what they were trying to accomplish. Um, And I guess the mysticism behind Freddy Krueger and his mythology is definitely explored a little more here. It's a bit of a shame, though, that the idea that Freddy trying to possess Jesse's character... Um, it is kind of forgotten later in the franchise because it's something that's really unique and different and something that we hadn't seen later uh, as well, which is it's just disappointing because it's a really interesting concept, the idea that Freddy's trying to get into the real world by taking over someone else's body. It, it's very interesting, and it influences Jesse as a character. He's definitely conflicted and he's got all these ideas in his head of what's going on, and he feels like he's going insane. And I think um, Mark Patton does a really good job at portraying that on screen because it just looks like he's really stressed during the entire film. He's, like, sweaty, he's really concerned the whole time, and that comes across in his performance, which I think he does a really good job. Uh, His relationship as well with uh, Kim Myers' character, uh, Lisa, is really interesting as well. And Kim Myers is a dead ringer for... uh, Uh, Meryl Streep. They look identical. I was shocked. Uh, I heard rumors because I hadn't seen this film in a very long time. So that was sort of in the back of my mind. and something I hadn't really thought about. And I heard rumors of how much she looked like her. And during the time they were mistaken in Hollywood for one another. And uh, Kim Myers, of course, had more of a background in horror. Uh, She appeared in uh, Hellraiser uh, Bloodline later in her career in 1996. And then, of course, going on to like JAG, the TV show as well. But I thought that she was, um, yeah, quite good in the film, and I like her chemistry with, um, uh, with Patton. I think they work really well together. Um, but I think the bromance of the film is definitely between uh, Jesse and um, Ron um, Grady, played by uh, Robert Russler. I really like the two of them on screen together. They have a bit of a weird relationship uh, at the start of the film. They're sort of The baseball sequence is pretty iconic. Uh, where the coach makes them do the – they're holding their plank on the field after doing some push-ups because they were fighting and they lost the game and the coach is pissed off at them, as he would be. And um, we sort of get a bit of back and forth. And later in the film when Jesse uh, wants to share a room with uh, Grady and Grady's uh, – ultimately results in Grady's demise as we get a really interesting um, sequence at a party where – Freddie Krueger comes through Jesse and attacks uh, Grady and kills him uh, in some really interesting uh, practical effects. They're not fantastic, but they're still better than most. And I love when practical effects are used in general because I just think they look a lot better. And Freddie comes through uh, Jesse's chest, um, and we get like some yeah really gross body horror. It reminded me of The Fly actually, which came out a few years later. But the idea of like his skin falling off and you know coming through. Uh, Jesse um, in general, and it, it looked interesting. It was definitely an interesting effect. It's just the data quality, especially watching it on like a 4K TV. You can definitely notice little things, and you're like, oh, that doesn't look fantastic. Probably would have looked better if I was watching it on VHS because you can hide some of those things with the film grain, but watching it in HD, you can definitely see a few of those effects shine through. But at the same time, I think it really was interesting, and, and I do respect the fact that they were able to pull some of that off at the time too. So, yeah, it's an interesting effect. Um, and that leads to one of the more iconic sequences in the film, and that is Freddy uh, coming through to the real world and attacking everyone at the pool party. Uh, a sequence that some people don't like, and f- uh, fans of the franchise reckon it stands out as one of the weaker moments, but Freddy's kill count in a lot of his films is quite low because he's targeting specific people, So you only ever have, you know, three or four where Jason, you know, tallies up high kill counts, so does Michael Myers. Uh, Out of the slasher villains, Freddy's sort of in the dust there. Freddy's more creative in the way that he tallies up his kills as well. But this sequence, when he's in the real world, I don't hate it because I think it utilizes a lot of, um, I guess, those real-world aesthetic. And I guess Freddy's more creative in the sense that we've always got the boiler room or we've always got... A setting that's specific to Freddy or specific to the characters. So seeing him, I guess, attack a pool party is something that we weren't really expecting, and I found that to be really fun and unique. It was something that I, yeah, I, I didn't really, I don't know, I, I didn't really remember. Uh, I don't, I don't really recall that sequence when I used to watch this film, but I, I found it to be quite, um, yeah, it was, it was quite fun, and I, I thought that it was handled in a way that. Made the film feel, I guess, it kind of is cheesy. I guess it's got that cheesy aesthetic to it, but it definitely makes it feel like it's a part of the time. And I, I don't hate it. And I think some of the kills are a bit, you know, iffy. And there's a, um, of course, the Dead Meat channel. On if you're a horror fan, you can check out them on YouTube. And in Dead Meat, uh, he describes, you know, he goes through a lot of depth here, talking about the kills and some of the um, behind the scenes. Um, things as well but I thought that the way that it was yeah it was handled was um, yeah it was a bit of fun and I like the idea of um, blending those pyrotechnics as well because you've got the fire because fire is synonymous with Freddy of course and um, I thought that it was yeah it was a bit of fun and I I did enjoy it I guess one of the more iconic sequences of the film is of course the dance scene um, involving Mark Patton he's dancing in his bedroom um, singing along and It's pretty iconic. I'm going to play the audio for this sequence because it is quite a bit of fun. And if you're familiar with the film, then you, of course, know the sequence. But yeah, I thought I might just play it for a bit of fun. So here we go. Like that? The two of you alone. Excuse me. I-, I told her you invited me over. I guess maybe I should have called. So that sequence is a bit of fun, and if you're familiar with the franchise, that scene is pretty synonymous with fans. Everyone's aware of it. Uh, but it is, yeah, it, it is a bit of fun, and it, again, it sort of plays into that um, whole homoerotic uh, nature that sort of um, sh- uh, shrouds the film. But it, again, I feel like it elevates the material, but I, I think it all comes down to how good Will Patton um is in the film too, Uh, Mark Patton, sorry, um, is in the film. I think that he's really, really strong and when you take into account what he was dealing with personally at the time, um, I I think he does a really good job and I I really do enjoy a lot of the film and what it was able to achieve uh, in, in that regard and I guess you can hold it into a really different light compared to some other films, uh, especially at the time. But yeah, I I just find it's really remarkable of what they were able to achieve in that, that respect. And it's very iconic uh, in a good way. And it's very different. And I think where you go from here with the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, because we've got, you know, part three, which is a lot of people's favorites. I'm I do love Dream Warriors and Dream Warriors is a really good sequel. And I think um, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise in general, if you have a look at the, um, in comparison to, you know, the Friday the 13th franchise and then Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street is probably the more consistent franchise because there's more entries that are better than most. Uh, Dream Warriors is good. Dream Child is a bit irritating just because of the things they introduced is good. Uh, I really like the reinvention But it's just some of the things surrounding that film don't work for me. But then you've got the Dream Master as well, uh, which followed Dream Child, and I I really enjoy that film, Uh, even though they recast Patricia Arquette's character, which is a bit disappointing because she's so good uh but then you go to you know freddy's dead and i'm not a huge fan and the remake isn't very good if you had to compare the remakes it's like you've got halloween out of your big three i guess um and i guess you can include child's play into that because i i like the child's play franchise too um but you've got um you know the halloween remake rob zombies film in 2007 i enjoy that for the most part because it does some interesting things uh surrounding the character and it's a it's a good remake in the sense that it does things differently. It's not just recreating that first Halloween, the second half of the film is, but the first half delves into Michael's backstory a little more. Um, and it's got the Rob Zombie-isms that you expect with all the rednecks in um, Haddonfield and that, and that sort of thing. But I enjoy the fact that it's a little different and Halloween 2 is completely bizarre. One of the strangest films I've ever seen. And that's horror or not. It's just such a real, it's just a weird movie Um, But then you've got films like uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, which came out in 2010 under the New Line brand, because New Line was remaking Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is a decent remake as well, in 2003. Then it took them a few years, and they came out with Friday the 13th, the remake, which I quite enjoy, and I've watched that film a numerous amount of times. I watched it last Halloween, and I do enjoy that remake because – as someone who's not as big a fan of the Friday the Thirteenth films in comparison to Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street, I feel that that remake was very different, and I enjoy the fact that it sort of improves on some of the aspects of the first film. And again, it's something I, the black and white sequence at the start is more, you know, catering towards um, Jason and his mum, and, and I like that because you know you you get a bit of an introduction to the character um and then yeah it, it sort of flows on to be more of a traditional remake incorporating things from part three with the bag on his head and they give you the the iconic mask as well but then you've got part um part of you know the the idea that you're sort of trying to set up a franchise too so it's interesting and it's a shame that because that film I think out of the remakes it, it's opening weekend it made like 42 million dollars but Back in 2009 for a horror film in particular, it was huge numbers. So it's very shocking. It did have a big drop, though. I remember it's second week and it drops like 75%, which is huge even for a horror film. So I don't know if that was bad word of mouth or what that was. But, you know, you had the trend then of My Bloody Valentine came out, which is a remake I quite enjoy. I think the original is definitely better, but the remake is a bit of fun. And Patrick Lucier um, I like as a filmmaker. He's very different. Uh, Drive Angry 3D is like one of my big guilty pleasure movies. I really enjoyed that movie, and I know it's hated by a lot of people, but as a Nicolas Cage fan, I do enjoy it. Then you've also got that Nightmare on Elm Street remake, and Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 is just a really bland, uh, poorly directed film. It's directed by a music video um, director who directed... I guess in the horror elements, he directed the Animals film clip from Maroon 5, and it's a very strange and creepy film clip. Uh, He's got that aesthetic where everything looks really clean, so there's like really clean visuals, there's really wide shots, and the focus on the camera is really clean. I I really like the opening diner sequence in the remake, but outside that opening diner sequence, uh, there's a cool sequence in a pharmacy that keeps cutting between dream and reality, which is cool. But everything outside of that is just so bland and drab and it just doesn't really work and it's a waste of a cast too because you've got uh, Rooney Mara in the lead role playing Nancy and she just does not do anything uh, in that film and it's a real shame apparently she had a really poor time on set and she was actually contemplating like quitting acting afterwards which would be a real shame because she's such a good actress. But she's really poor in that film, and she, you can tell she's just miserable to be on set. Uh, then you've got Connie Britton playing the mum as well, and Connie Britton's a fantastic actress, like a really good actress. Uh, Jackie O'Haley uh, plays Freddy Krueger, and I think he does a really good job. He's not going for that fun, lighthearted Freddy that we see in the later versions. It feels like he is channeling, uh, going back to Freddy's revenge, he's channeling Matt Freddy Krueger. But, yeah, I, I, I want to eventually review that film, and I guess that's the lead-up. I'll do a Nightmare on Elm Street review maybe every Halloween. It might take a few years, but we'll get there. Um, but, yeah, that, that's just a, a film that's very poor, uh, and it's a real shame because it sort of misses the mark in relation to A Nightmare on Elm Street. It was made under the Michael Bay uh, Platinum Dunes Company, And a lot of those remakes that came from there, so you had Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, and then you had, of course, uh, uh, The Hitcher as well, that classic, um, which wasted Sean Bean, which was just shocking. Uh, But yeah, out of the remakes, it's probably the poorest. Even The Hitcher isn't very good, but I'd probably watch The Hitcher again over A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Then you've got Child's Play, which I mentioned briefly, but I think that's a good remake as well because it completely changes uh, who... Chucky is and what Chucky is so that's cool Um, but going back to Freddy's Revenge what I'm trying to say there is that the franchise is very different and the quality of the franchise is remarkably consistent compared to the Friday the 13th which is very so you've got part one in Friday the 13th I don't really love I like the twist at the end it's cool but it's not a very memorable film outside of Kevin Bacon's death which is something everyone remembers because of the cool Tom Savini special effects So you've got that part two is okay. I guess we get to see Jason finally as the killer. Um, It's not until like part six really of the um, Friday the 13th films that I start to find consistency because I really like Jason Libs. I think it's a fun uh, horror flick and it's my favorite entry in the franchise. But the more absurd that Friday the 13th gets is the more I like it. I like... You know, the New Line Cinema ones, I did a review recently of Jason Goes to Hell. I like that side of Jason. It's more fun to me. Um, And when you compare it to, you know, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, I just find more consistency because part one is good. Part two is really good, surprisingly. Uh, Part three, Dream Warriors is awesome. Um, The Dream Master is a lot of fun. The first half is definitely stronger than the second half, but it's a good film. And then you go part five, part six, and you get up to New Nightmare as well. And New Nightmare changes the game. Wes Craven returns to the franchise and creates a a very meta precursor to Scream. When Scream, you know, um, turns the genre on its head, uh, then we get the the Scream era of Hollywood uh, in relation to the horror genre. But New Nightmare is just Wes Craven doing that, and he does such a good job. So I, I really appreciate the franchise as a whole, and I think Freddy's Revenge just marks the idea that the franchise could be different. It doesn't have to follow the formula of the different uh, slasher genre flicks that we were getting in the 1980s. It could be different and it was okay to be different. And that's what I really enjoyed. So yeah, I I find this film to be a really entertaining horror flick. I find it to be a good sequel and I find it to be a really unique piece of 1980s cinema, uh, horror or not. I just think that it's a really interesting um, film and, taking into account all everything that surrounds the film as well, it just creates something that's completely unique and different. And I really appreciate that. And I think the film's runtime as well, it sits at a cool um, hour and 27 minutes, which is the perfect time for this film. I, I don't think it needs to be any longer. It does drag a little in the middle, which is a bit of a shame, but that's just due to uneven pacing. It's something that you could shave a good two, three minutes off. I don't like when they go back to the idea of, you know, Freddie's origin story. We know this. A Nightmare on Elm Street was quite a big film back in, back in 1984. And that's relevant as well because, you know, we're what a year later and we've already got the second part. So yeah, it's very interesting. It's a, a entertaining film. And if you like the franchise and you haven't checked it out, because a lot of people, I guess, take horror sequels with a grain of salt. They're like, uh-uh. you know, the first one's the memorable one. Do we talk about the sequels? But this franchise in particular, I think it's worthy to talk about the sequels. There's definitely some entries that aren't as good. Uh, like I said, the Dream Child has cool concepts. It's just execution's poor. Uh, and Freddy's Dead isn't very good. And the remake sucks. So... You've got elements of the franchise that work, elements that don't, but overall I think that it, it, it does work really well um, in the context of horror in the 1980s and especially when you know more about the backstory of the making of this film. And uh, Screen Queen's My Nightmare on Elm Street is definitely um, a documentary I'm going to check out and, yeah, looking forward to it. So, yeah, guys, that's Freddy's Revenge. I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10. Uh, it seems quite high, but in the context of the film itself, in relation to the rest of the franchise it's the darkest entry in the franchise but it's probably one of the more entertaining ones you take into account freddy coming into the real world you know iconic it's very iconic and some of the sequences the dance week sequence in particular are the things that people do remember so yeah i had a really good time revisiting this one and yeah i would highly recommend it so That brings this review to a close, guys. If you haven't seen Freddy's Revenge, definitely check it out. Um, Check out my other reviews as well. Uh, This Halloween Spooktacular, I'll be tackling a few other films, but I'm not going to spoil that now. Um, I'll let you guys... Find out what's coming out next by just following me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at OzMovieGeek. Um, and make sure you check out my mate Hayden Westcott's um, down below and check out his uh, Instagram page. It's uh, really cool, especially if you like woodwork and uh, cool guitars. He does a really good job. So look forward to more reviews coming at you very shortly. And until next time, peace out. You've got to pick up every stitch. You've got to pick up every stitch You've got to pick up every stitch Ooh, Must be the season of the week Must be the season of the week yeah. Must be the season of the wind.